With more than 60 episodes in the game, KP and PR are still dropping gems. Secrets continues to bring you the hot fire that you have grown to expect. Listeners describe Secrets as the ultimate receipt for motivating the underrepresented employee to be bold in achieving their career aspirations in corporate America. And season four will definitely not disappoint as they deliver secrets on how to advocate for yourself, how to become a better ally, and how to get your market value. Your hosts, Keith Powell and Ricky Robinson, put in that work to reach the top of corporate America. And this groundbreaking podcast challenges you, as well as corporate America, to be better and do better. KP and PR will bring you more tips and tricks on how to advance in your career. So fill up those cups and welcome to season four. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Secrets with Ricky. What's happening today, my brother? Man, look, I'm still cheesing, to be honest with you, KP, about that episode that we had with Nitty last week. Oh, man, she was so good and a great kickoff to AAPI Heritage Month. Her story as a first-generation Indian-American, it just really struck a chord with our listeners, right? We've gotten a ton of feedback from it. You know, people are texting like, now, who is Nitty again? You know, (laughs) so like, I really appreciate that. And that's what we do at Secrets, right? Like, at the end of the day, we try to bring content. We try to bring in people that, at the end of the day, add the voices and experiences of underrepresented employees to the conversation. Yeah, it's so true. You said nothing but a word. In our continued celebration of AAPI Heritage Month, we have another hot fire guest for you today. (laughs) You know, in season two, we did an episode about breaking through the bamboo ceiling and some of the issues our AAPI colleagues faced in the workplace. And we've been waiting on this moment to go deeper into this very, very layered and textured topic, right? And over the past two years, we've seen an astronomical uptick in the occurrences of AAPI hate across the country. And much of it is inflamed by these old played out stereotypes and coded racist language. And we just want to get to the bottom of all that today. So true, KP. The history of our AAPI colleagues in America has many complicated layers, and it's something we don't often talk about. So we're happy, so, so very happy to have one of our day one listeners and supporters, Kana Ueda, joins us today to help provide some insight on what Asian women in particular face in the workplace. I have known Kana for a few years, and let me showcase just a few of her many accomplishments throughout her more than 15-year leadership career in medical technology. She completed her college studies in Japan. She holds multiple certifications in regulatory affairs, project management, and organizational transformation. In addition, this sister is so involved in the internal employee resources communities and the external community service efforts with her sweat equity and countless advocacy for programs and people. Secrets Village, I bring to you one of our ride-or-die day-one supporters and one of my dearest friends, Kana Ueda. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It has been my dream to be on Secrets. Such an honor to be here. Thank you. <laughs> Finally, I made it to Secrets. Finally, <laughs> four. Yay. <laughs> here. Welcome, Kana. Looking forward to our conversation today. In today's episode, we'll talk with Kana about her story and leadership journey as an Asian woman. We'll discuss some of the common stereotypes and challenges of being AAPI in the workplace. We'll provide, as we always do, receipts. And those receipts today will be about representation and experiences of AAPI 
employees in the workplace. And we'll close out with secrets from Kata on how AAPI employees can advocate for themselves and break the mold of common stereotypes around API employees. Let's get into this, Keith. Let's I mean, so we like to start out all of our episodes where we where we talk to people. We want folks to understand, like our listeners to understand some insight on who they're talking to, right? Can you please take a moment to bring our listeners up to speed on who you are, what your upbringing, educational background was like and like ended with like your career journey, you know, if you can for us. So like the listeners look, look selfishly me and Keith know We want everybody else to know. Sure. Thank you. I was born and grew up in Osaka, Japan. Osaka is the second biggest city. I have two younger brothers. I am mom and dad who passed recently late last year. My dad was a surgeon and my mom was a nurse. And uncles and are all physicians. So so to speak, the Ueda family is a multi-generation physician's family. And therefore, the expectation was when I was growing up, if you're a boy, be a doctor. If you're a girl, have an arranged marriage and marry a doctor. <laughs> Perfect, right? So my dad would say, well, as a girl, you don't need to study hard, be pretty, nice, be popular. Always remember the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Be submissive, obey structure, and do not talk back. And your mom is a perfect example, Yamato Nadeshko. Yamato Nadeshko is a personification of an idealized Japanese woman, poised, kind, gentle, graceful, humble, patient, honest, and everything, right? You want to assume. And Yamato is an ancient name for Japan. And Nadeshko is literally a pink flower, delicate, fragile, and cute. And I've heard the term lotus flower, but uh, Nadeshko is really common, you know, commonly used in Japan. Doesn't it give you some kind of stereotype about Japanese women? And as a result, as an adult, I'm not close to Yamato Nadeshko. I think Keith and Ricky can t- attest. <laughs> I always felt like I failed to meet the, this expectation being Yamato Nadeshko. Uh, not being like my mom. But a few years ago, when I visited my dad in Japan, he said to me, he's very proud of me having a great career in the United States. And he doesn't worry about me anymore. So that was huge. I'm independent, speak my own mind on my language. Well, when I was little, I went to all private schools from kindergarten up to graduate school, but I went to a Christian girls' school from junior high to high school. The school had an intensive English program that was well-known in Osaka. We read and watched inspirational leaders' stories in English. I learned about the U.S. history in English and was fascinated by the core values, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, equality freedom of speech, civil rights movement, especially by Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech. Of course, I had never imagined that I would someday become American. (laughs) During that time, I was struggling to figure out who I am, not being able to fit into Yamato Nadeshko culture, but wanted to make my parents happy. I constantly felt like being a nail that sticks out at school, being a straight A student, participated in a national speech contest in English and led the student government as a president 
and I had a dream to work for the United Nations. I got a scholarship to go to the University of Foreign Language, majored in English, love communication because communication changes the world. I truly believe that. And after college, I entered a graduate school in Kyoto to get master's in American studies and started working as a part-time teacher. Then I met my husband from Minnesota. It took us great six years to get permission from my parents and move to the United States with a fiancé visa 15 years ago at the age of 30. I have to admit, I have one arranged marriage date just to please my parents before I got engaged. So (laughs) please forgive me for that. (laughs) And then when I first moved here, of course, having an English degree, it was a natural choice for me to start job hunting, focused on English, Japanese, bilingual skill sets. And my first job I had was on-call medical interpreter, helping patients, Japanese patients in Twin Cities area in Minnesota. And luckily, I found a full-time position at one of the biggest uh, med device companies. And that was a technical writing, technical writer position and project specialist role. And that's how I learned about technical writing and med device and other regulations. And, and about 10 years ago, I was lucky to transition to a different company where I'm still with. So thank you. That's kind of like a really long and long history of me (laughs) up until now. That's amazing. No, thanks. Thanks for sharing that story. I mean, it's so rich and so layered and just lots of things in there that made me smile. Also, we talked about that. I mean, I've traveled to Japan several times and the cultures can be like, the difference between the U.S. and Japan, they couldn't be further apart. And you hinted about some of that with your story there. And we talk a lot on this show about code switching, having to like navigate between different cultures and going into work and how you are outside of work. I know this has been an ongoing story for you in your career as you've navigated a career in Japan, as well as moving to the U.S. So can you talk more about some of the differences and similarities that an Asian woman faces in Japan and then also in the U.S.? Sure. Differences might be, I would say, not so much career advancement for most women in Japan. Unfortunately, still male dominant. The higher up you go, you hardly see women. And for instance, there's a decent maternity leave program, you know, in Japan, but there's a lack of infrastructure like daycare or other support systems that allow women to return to work and be successful. Uh, Staying home mom. Housewives to serve that role is very common still. And besides raising kids, multi-generation caregiving responsibility is definitely put on women rather than on men. And similarities, I would say, not, not being sponsored or not being able to find role model at senior level. It is a lot to do with maybe, as I mentioned, low representation of Asian female in Japan. But I think I still see that tendency or the phenomena in, in America, corporate America as well. And emphasis on mentoring and coaching is there. Maybe women are over-mentored, under-sponsored. I think that's what I see, at least. And we really need a sponsor either uh, Caucasian or, you know, Asian or other underrepresented groups, anybody like who believes in you, uh, believes in Asian female. We need a sponsor who can really remove roadblocks, helps us understand unspoken rules. And we definitely need a constant confidence booster 
that allow us to let go of our imposter syndrome or inner critic saying, I'm not good enough. It's so much to unpack. Like, I mean, I'm telling y'all, secret listeners, do y'all understand what we got kind of on here? Like, I mean, I can't tell you how many five-minute conversations that me and Keith wanted to have with Connie that turned into an hour because we just are like asking her questions. We asking her question after question. And I find it like, this is where really believing in yourself really starts to matter here, right? Because just the sheer opinions that you have and the elegance in which you communicate those things, it would be hard for me to believe that someone wanted to suppress that voice. <laughs> you know, like kind of that I know is not a quiet kind of just so that everyone else, you know, out there understands. But what I wanted to maybe kind of navigate through is given that you've had to battle through so many things in your career, what was the moment when you knew that you needed to make a change and maybe to start advocating for yourself based off of all of the things that you had been almost brainwashed to try to learn when you were younger to like, you know, you're where you are now, what kind of made you say, you know what, I need to do more and start kind of, you know, advocating for me. So right after I joined the current company, I was diagnosed with stage one breast cancer. I was 35 and my daughter was just only one. I was devastated. I was sort of forced to do tons of reflection really quickly facing cancer diagnosis. I crystallized what I really wanted in life, personal life, career. And I asked myself, if I were to survive, what do I really want to do in the extra time I gain after treatment? What is my legacy and what can I leave for my daughter and next generation, especially women? Then I happened to come across a book, Breaking the Bamboo Ceiling, written by Jane Hyun. I read it multiple times and then understood why I do what I do. And I'm shocked to learn that not only the first generation Asian like myself, but also second and third generation even face bamboo ceiling at corporate America. I also used self-reflection tools from the book. And literally the book taught me so many from importance of self-awareness, networking, having confidence, and allyship. And then also paid forward, lifting others. I highly recommend this book to anyone, not just Asian folks. After I got back from medical leave, I had more intentionality and clarity on what I want to do going forward. I wanted to reach my full potential and help others to reach their full potential. I started taking more risks like stretch assignments, including acquisitions, showing up at senior leaders' product review meetings with confidence. And I asked my senior vice president to become my official sponsor. I know it's kind of breaking the you know, rules. Maybe it was not a traditional way of finding a sponsor, but I did. And he said, sure. So he's been great. I took a leadership role at ERG, Agent Employee Resource Group, started building personal board of directors, mentors, mentees, sponsors, and coaches, and cheerleaders. I even wrote an email to Jane Hyun, the author of Breaking the Bamboo City, and asked to get connected. Now she's my personal friend and career coach. You never know what's going to happen if you follow your heart. I strongly believe in the PIE theory, performance image and exposure. 
10% performance, 30% image, 60% exposure. I don't want to overgeneralize, but Asians tend to spend way too much on energy and focus on performance and sort of like lose sight of what's going on in the organization, political environment, who is connected to who and how you show up. Image is super critical. If your personal brand is technical, but not management material or good at fixing, but not out of the thinker, doer, but not strategist, then you'll not be selected to work on high visibility business critical projects. Those projects certainly give you tons of exposures to senior leaders or even senior executives. The founder of Panasonic, Konosuke Matsushita, said, the nails that stick way too high don't get hammered down. So I'm trying to get one of them. <laughs> Believe in yourself <laughs> and keep striving. No, that's amazing. That's great. Some great gems in there too, by the way. Yeah, you're absolutely. Already dropping yeah, science. yeah, she is. Already dropping science in here. <laughs> and kind of we know, you know, there are a lot of stereotypes out there about Asian employees. The model minority myth being one of them, right? I mean, you talked a little bit about that. You come from a family of physicians. It was just like, okay, everybody, everyone's going to be a physician. Everyone's going to be great in math. Everyone's going to be whatever it is. And then you act a certain way being Asian. Can you tell us a few common stereotypes that are out there that you've had to deal with about Asian employees and why they can be wrong and damaging to the careers of your colleagues? The most common stereotype against Asian employees would be being quiet, don't speak up, don't ask questions, don't know what they're thinking. I would like to ask listeners if they know Chinese philosopher uh, Confucius. Confucius teachings or Confucianism emphasizes personal and governmental morality, correctness of social relationships, justice, kindness, and sincerity. Confucianism had so much influence on education, culture, and politics, not only in China, but in East Asian countries, including Japan. One of his principles is to obey the hierarchy, authority, rules, and seniority. So please do not misjudge your quiet Asian colleagues being being disengaged or do not have any opinions. They might be just showing respect to you by listening to your point. Expressing one's opinion, especially when it does not align with their bosses, they'll probably be hesitant to share. I don't have hesitation anymore, but Probably, you know, majority of Asians do still feel that way, in especially public setting. They're just reading the room according to the Confucianism. What you can do as a colleague or an ally is to reach out to them in one-on-one setting. I'm sure they'll share their ideas with you very passionately. Yeah. I'm glad that you said that because I think a big piece of us sharing, as we've talked about on previous episodes, is creating that trusting environment. You got to put in some work to be able to do this. And if you really want the diversity of thought and ideas, you got to spend time with other folks. You got to go across the aisle or aisles, you know, to be able to do that. So I really appreciate, you know, you being able to talk about, you know, some of those things. The stereotypes that you described are just, 
I'm over here taking notes because it's just, they're so true, right? Like everything that you said, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you realize that we do take a lot of this for granted because we don't put in the work that we talked about earlier. I can't even tell you how many times I've heard some of the same, you know, stereotypes that you've talked about, you know, there. And not only did the stereotype serve as a way to hold API employees back, but then you have to deal with all of the damn microaggressions, you know, when it comes to language. And because someone doesn't understand, you know, then they think, oh, you're not talking about anything, right? Or just culture and gender in general, some of the things you spoke about. Can you take a moment and just talk to us about some of the microaggressive behaviors that you've encountered, you know, during your career? Sure. Being the first generation of immigrant speaking English as a second language, being woman, it takes extra time and brain power to digest or even like understand uh, microaggression. What I mean by that is I just don't realize or notice inappropriate comments being made about me until a lot later or until someone else points out. I love people and I just don't, I try to assume good intent, right? And I grew up in a different culture, so it just doesn't click sometimes. And one funny story I can share with the audience is that in my early career, this guy, a Caucasian male, who was known as funny guy at the office, kept calling me Kana Banana every time I walked by his cube. <laughs> and I thought he was trying to make me feel welcome and just try to be friendly. In fact, I thought, yeah, kind of banana, kind of like, you know, sound really cool. And one day I just happened to share this story with my husband at home. And he said, oh, that means you are white inside and yellow outside. And I was confused and I don't know, it's really commonly used, you know, banana is the term for Asians who grew up here, but I don't appreciate racial remark. And so next morning I woke up to him and said, I don't feel comfortable being called kind of banana going forward. And my husband said that it's the racial remark. Of course, he said, no, no, no. He never meant that way. He was trying to be like friendly and wanted to make friends with me. And yeah, it, it was healthy confrontation. And after that, he treated me with respect. He was very helpful. Every time I asked him for help, yeah, my humble advice to listeners is that your actions or comments to show your friendliness or curiosity might lead to microaggression. You just pointed out, you know, some of those intentions, right? And, I, and the one thing that I've always been able to appreciate about you is, again, kind of is going to think about what you said. She's going to write that down. <laughs> she's going to figure it out. And she's going to come back to you, right? And I know that is not the most comfortable thing for people to do. You know, sometimes I totally, totally understand it. But I also think that something that I've learned from you, people are going to treat you the way that you allow them to treat you. And the fact that you did your own self, you know, reflection piece there, tried to figure out what that meant. And then you went back and talked, you know, about it. You spoke about being able to be treated with respect afterwards. That would not have come had you not professionally and appropriately addressed you know, that situation. Yeah, so sure. I just wanted to commend you on that, but I also wanted to take a special note just to let our listeners know, look, she's dropping gems, kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's dropping yeah, gems, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it, this is going to be one of them, listen to it, rewind it. That's right. 
<laughs> Write that shit down. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Rinse and repeat. Rinse yeah. and repeat. And I know you're about to give another mm-hmm. example too. So go for it. Sure. Yeah. Just to add, I try to look at the bright side of everything. And even microaggression can turn into the friendship builder. So yeah, just I'm sure it's it could be really painful exercise, but you know, assume good intent. And so another example I was going to talk about is the comments like, you people, <laughs> aka Japanese people in my, you know, in my situation. Yeah, you people have such high standards and expectations. And I hear that all the time. So is it a bad thing to have high expectations and standards? Well, everybody wants to meet your expectation. Okay, who's everybody? Yeah, is it bad to strive to the highest standard? Yes, right. So I, I jokingly say, yeah, that's Japanese standard. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, got, you got to accept it and strive to get there. <laughs> it is very interesting because, I mean, it's not a stereotype. It's also true because, I mean, a lot of the quality management comes out of Japan, right? Lean manufacturing. Yeah. Kaizen. Kaizen. Mm-hmm. Kaizen. All, the, Kaizen. all those concepts come from Japan because you do have high standards and there's yep. nothing wrong with that. I mean, it showed America a lot of ways when it came to auto manufacturing and a lot of other things. It's, it's okay to have standards and expectations um, at the end of the day. Keep dropping that knowledge. Exactly. Keep dropping it. <laughs> and here's one last question. As Ricky mentioned at the beginning of the episode, you've been a listener from day one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you write us notes. You show up for happy hours, all kinds of things. And takes pictures in her gear. In her gear. <laughs> she has lots of gear. We're going to see all yeah. kinds of iterations of that gear. Exactly. And so just curious, what is it about secrets that has struck a chord with you? And what do you think your AAPI colleagues and others could learn from listening to secrets? underrepresented or marginalized groups are facing the similar issues. Lack of sponsorship, feeling uncomfortable to ask for a raise, or just simply asking about compensation package. What I like about secrets is that I get reminded every week that I'm not crazy. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not, I'm not alone in this journey. Yes. And Ricky and Keith, C-suite leaders speak the simple language that anyone, including myself, can understand and we can decode unspoken rules of corporate America. I said to Ricky before, but Secrets Japan version needs to be kicked off someday. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. We see something happening. We see something happening. Franchise. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. Well, look, you guys, this is, again, yeah. that part of the show yeah. where I know sometimes people, they always say, did that stuff really happen? Yeah. Y'all being, you know, extra, you know, about it. But. Again, this part of the show is the receipts. Receipts. Because the receipts, because of the receipts is why we have the show. Yeah. Okay. Because of the receipts are because we are intentional with the guests, you know, that we bring on. And today we'll share receipts on AAPI representation in the workplace. And we'll also share some receipts on experiences of AAPI women in the workplace as well. So Keith, just hit us off with receipt number one. 
Absolutely. Receipt number one, according to our old favorite, Harvest Business Review. We ran them out, don't we? We're wearing them out. As well as Bloomberg. Asian Americans represent 12% of professionals in the United States, while being only 5.6% of the overall population. However, white men and white women are 154% more likely than Asians to hold an executive role, and Asians represent only 1.5% of corporate offices in the Fortune 500. 1.5%. Like, here it is. We're talking about the purple unicorns yep. again, right? Yep. Like, we're saying it damn near doesn't even exist. It doesn't exist. 1.5. That's, right. That's right. You get stacked at the bottom and never get to break through to the top. Yeah. Oh, God. That... that. <laughs> It actually pisses me off. Let's run to that one. Okay. Receipt number two. Again, Harvard Business Review did an analysis of national EEOC workforce data, and that's Equal Employment Opportunity Commission for some of our listeners. And they found that Asian American white collar professionals are the least likely group to be promoted from individual contributor roles into management. Meaning, mm-hmm. hey, you're doing a good job doing, doing what you're job. doing. That's right. Let's not upset the apple cart. Okay. And they're less likely than any other race, including Blacks and Hispanics, to be able to go from individual contributor to uh, management, you know, level roles. Their analysis found that white professionals are about twice as likely to be promoted into management as their Asian American counterparts. They found that in many companies throughout the country, Asian-related programs are geared toward cultural inclusion not management diversity. Exactly. Let's let's celebrate the culture. Yeah, make you comfortable. But we're not going to give you the opportunity to make more coins. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> give you Again, possibility. Generational wealth. Like I know people think I'm a conspiracy theorist, okay? <laughs> but I'm just telling you what I'm reading here and I'm digesting it. This is saying you really don't even have a chance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of that goes back to what Connor was talking about with that quiet, you know, being quiet. Yep. And people then making assumptions about your leadership ability mm-hmm. and capability just because you're quiet in the room. Yeah. I mean, I've talked about that happen to me personally with my quiet personality. It has nothing to do with my ability to get the job done and put points on the board. Right. But it holds people back. Receipt number three, the Center for American Progress did some research on the experiences of Asian women in the workplace. They found that 56% of AAPI moms are the family breadwinner, but the annual median earnings varied widely across subpopulations in the Asian community. While Taiwanese, Indian, and Malaysian women earn the most at a median of $70,000 per year, Hmong, Samoan, Burmese women made less than half of that. Oh, and overall, AAPI women earn... 85 cents for every dollar earned by a white man. But again, the range is wide. Taiwanese, Indian, Malaysian women actually earn one point, a dollar and 20 cents for every dollar a white man earns. But among Samoan and Burmese women make between 52 and 60 cents for every dollar earned by, by white males. I mean, again, these are the receipts. We're not yeah. making this shit up. Mm-hmm. Like, like we are not making this stuff up. We're this is available for everyone to see. Now yeah, you can yeah, understand yeah. why they don't want you talking about some of this stuff. Right. Like whether it be at work, whether it be in school, everything. Hey, let's just keep everything the way that it is. Right. Right. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. And look, the last receipt here, Keith. Yeah. Receipt number four. That same analysis also found that twenty-seven percent of employed AAPI women are essential workers. And of those essential workers, 75% work in either healthcare or food services. Mm-hmm. Healthcare or food services, yep. okay? <laughs> Top industries for AAPI women are hospitals, 
restaurants, colleges and universities, and elementary and secondary education. Top occupations are registered nurse, accountants and auditors, cashiers, manicurists, and pedicurists. I mean, this yeah. is this is ridiculous. It is. It is. It's sad. But you see it. Yeah. You see it. If you walk around, you see it also. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, what is going on here? But Ricky, my head is spinning all these receipts and we just need to move on. I lose my mind. Yeah, yeah, I see him over here boiling. Up in here. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So look, I know we pointed out some of the the inconsistencies of some of the things that obviously make my blood boil. And as our listeners are listening, I know they're getting a little pissed about it also. What we want to try to do at this point is just kind of navigate into the secrets because what we pride ourselves on doing is being able to provide you with tools Mm -hmm. and resources for you to be able to change the paradigm. Yes. So we have a double dose of secrets for you today and we'll utilize Kana's experience, you know, here and we'll ask her to provide three secrets on what AAPI employees can do to get themselves up for success in the workplace. And then we will uh, close out the episode with three additional secrets for Kana on how corporate America can do better to create an environment where AAPI employees can show up as their authentic selves. So Kana, can you start with three secrets for AAPI colleagues for us? Sure. I would like you, each of you, to do the self-reflection. Ask yourself, what is your passion? Who you are? What you can bring to the table? Don't ever underestimate your own bilingual background or whatever the technical knowledge Please believe in yourself and start talking. Don't undervalue the power of network, the community, the personal board of directors. You can have the entire support and you don't need to do the old work. They'll talk about you at different levels and all of a sudden you are exposed or you get connected to senior leaders and you know, that's what happened to me. You get sponsors, you get chosen for a very high visible business critical assignments and confidence. That's critical. I do still deal with imposter syndrome every day. I'm not good enough. I may sound stupid or I mispronounce words, but so be it. Everybody makes mistakes and just count on yourself. I have this theory, and I oftentimes say to my mentees and my direct reports, three things that you want to remember when it comes to uh, choosing a role. First of all, you have to love what you do. Second, you have to be good at what you do. And three, what you do brings the value or makes a difference and people recognize you and appreciate you for doing that. If those three criteria or requirements are hit, you are in a sweet spot. And just be who you are. You have nothing to lose. Time is limited. So you want to advocate yourself. Don't keep putting your heads down. Work, work, work. I talked about pie theory. Exposure is huge. So you have enough. Good enough is way enough for you to shine. Don't wait until somebody gives you a hand or, hey, Kana, you're ready. You know, come, that time wouldn't come. So advocate yourself, make use of network, personal board of directors, and just be who you are. 
Yeah. Love it. With yeah. confidence. And Love I really it. appreciate that advice because the receipts that we expressed for people and we, we talked about show that if you don't do these things, we're still going to be, That's right. you know, at those minuscule numbers, yes. right? Like things yes. will stay the same. So I appreciate, I appreciate that advice. That's right. Because people won't lean in. And again, a lot of us are overqualified to be qualified for the roles that we're <laughs> right. in, right? Exactly. At the end of the day. So, so great advice on a personal level. Corporate America still has a lot of work to do too. Yeah. So it isn't just about individuals. We need the system to change at the end of the day. And so what advice do you have in terms of what corporate America can do to make their organizations more inclusive for the AAPI employees? Based on my experience, uh, it's really hard to find a raw model. I found the term in Breaking the Bamboo Sitting Book, ARM, Asian Raw Model, ARM. I've been still searching for my ARM, Asian Raw Model. I do think that, again, I mentioned Confucianism too. Just try to be curious and then study and learn about different culture, not just, you know, well, we are celebrating Asian culture, so I'm I'm emphasizing Asian culture, but just, you know, listen to podcasts, grab whatever you can find, books, articles to stay curious and learn. And stereotypes could potentially damage. So in my case, the quiet Asian stereotype actually affected how people viewed or considered me or misunderstood me. I was kind of, oh, Kana is vocal or she's aggressive or she's an overachiever, those type of things, because maybe just because I was outlier or didn't fit into the stereotypical Asian or Japanese woman, people just get confused, right? So I want corporate America or anybody to understand unconscious bias, how our brain functions, and it really comes down to fear and dealing with unknowns. So it's it's okay to say something inappropriate and then led to microaggression. We can learn from each other and everybody makes mistakes. So just have a dialogue and be honest with each other and be the ally. Please help quiet Asians or the, in my case, loud Asian, not to treat like, oh, they're different. Well, everybody's different. Everybody's unique. So please welcome different personalities and working styles. Man, kind of, girl, I mean, I'm over here just in awe because I remember having a conversation with you and I was like, well, what do you think? Okay, what do you want to do? What do you want to be? Like, it was some of those things. And I'm asking you, do you know what your market value is? Like, we had some of these discussions and just to hear the level of confidence that you speak to right now and to be an advocate, not only for you, but for the community is just amazing. So I just want to just take a moment here and say Secrets Community, I told y'all she was going to be dropping gems today, man. Like, this is crazy. This is crazy. So look, we sincerely appreciate you being on Secrets today. I mean, this was a phenomenal discussion and I'm not going to play into any of the stereotypes saying that you was dropping science, you know, today. <laughs> you know what I mean? These gems, you were just spitting like so many gems today. So I just want to say we appreciate you for that. So kind of thank you for being on the show. Such an honor. Thank you so much. It's probably one of the highlight, the pinnacles of my life. Thank you so much. <laughs>
I'll tell the stories to my grandchildren. <laughs> Someday I, I write about book. Maybe it's no longer like a paper book. <laughs> hey, but but the another one, type of form. But the one thing we're gonna probably try to mess around and hold it to is we're gonna talk about that oh, secret. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> that other thing. But but look, you can find more of our secrets and the receipts that we shared today by going to our website secrets.com and looking at these show notes because we got a lot of people behind the scenes that work to make sure that we have all of this stuff right but this has been an amazing conversation we want to make sure that you all go out there and support yeah for sure and i gonna extend my gratitude to you as well kind of for being on the show today and we heard you we heard you. Secrets Japan may be coming. But at least you're going to go on the road with us because yeah. we don't want your grandkids to be thinking about this episode. We want them to be thinking about grandma and Secrets Japan. <laughs> <laughs> International so, Superstar. <laughs> yes. Before we end, just a friendly you know, reminder or fun fact. So Japan women soccer national team uh, is called Nadeshiko Japan. How ironic is that? <laughs> rock star soccer players, Japanese soccer players, women soccer players are called Nadeshiko Japan. They're not certainly cute. You know, I mean, they're cute, but, you know, very like, go get like it, it, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yes. I love it. I love it. Yeah. We, and we appreciate you being vulnerable today, sharing your story with us. We also want to give a shout out to our all of our day ones, like Kana yep, yep. and every listener and fan out there, because it all started with you all, right? And we know that you continue to stand up and support us with open arms. So help us out. Continue to help us out. Go on Apple, Spotify, write that review. Do like Kana does. Be sporting that gear, that merchandise. She's always doing I see her. She be on all kinds of things. Yeah, on the happy hours. On. Yeah, everything. Everything. Sporting <laughs> that gear. So take a picture. And uh, post it on our Instagram page. We really appreciate that. And look, uh, KP, you and I have a lot of fun on the podcast. I mean, as always, we try to stick to the storyline, but sometimes we can't help ourselves. Okay. But, you know, as much fun as we have making the podcast, we really, really, really enjoy helping our listeners get that paper. Okay. Meaning your value. We want to impact the generational wealth things that we talk about. Yes. And reading some of those receipts that we read to you earlier fuels us, okay? Like we want to continue to help everyone. So far in a small amount of time, we've helped people get more than $3 million in total compensation increases. I mean, that's ridiculous. That is crazy, you know? So think about how we're (laughs) impacting that overall paradigm there. So again, check out our coaching services and get what you deserve, okay? You are not crazy, like Connor said. You know you need to be getting paid. <laughs> you know you need to be getting paid That's to go right. out there and get your blessings. That's right. We want to thank Connor again for showing up and showing out today, right? This is how we do it. Yeah, This is how we do it. These in-show libations <laughs> that we've been sipping on. I don't know what Ricky have over there in that, in that teacup, <laughs> but he's feeling good right now. That's all I'm going to say. So <laughs> we're about to raise our glass to Connor. And then fill them up before we go create some more hot fire for y'all. So until next time, everyone, thank you for listening to Secrets. And remember, when we share, you transform. Later. Thank you for listening. And we hope you enjoyed yet another gem from KP and PR. In fact, one listener said that Secrets continues to share the inside story on how to truly accomplish your corporate ambitions. And we hope you agree. 
If you are motivated and excited after listening to Keith and Ricky, please subscribe to our podcast, share with friends, donate via Patreon, and sign up for our executive coaching services. Check us out at www.c-crets.com to get more information about our secret services. Remember, when they share, you transform. Until next time, cheers. Cheers.